0: I want to welcome you uh, my name is Donnie and I'm so excited that you've joined us this weekend uh, and we want to welcome you to community whether you're here in person or you're joining us online it is such, such a special opportunity for us to get together every single week and, and have the opportunity to worship God. And so we're excited that you've joined us uh, this week. Um, if you are new or you're not new and you haven't yet downloaded our app, I would encourage you to go ahead and do so. The QR code is gonna be on the screen. You can scan that QR code. And, uh, and what it does is it allows us to be able to communicate with you better and just get you some information about community in your hands. And the very first thing you'll see On that is a communication card, and so if you're new with us and you want to kind of skip the line out at our new here cart, you can uh, click on that and just say, uh, give us some information and we'll get you a new here gift uh, with some information about just who we are, what we're about, and and how we can help you better. And so uh, if you're not new with us, we would encourage you to fill that out as well. Just so we can know that you're here, so we can better communicate with you as well, and uh, and then also on there is uh, a sign up for our pop up market that's coming up on March the 26th. If you want to be a vendor for that, meaning you want to sell um, some goods, maybe you maybe you have. Um, some awesome goods. We saw some cool ornaments at the last one. Whatever it is, whatever you make, we would encourage you to go ahead and sign up to be a vendor on our app right there. And uh, and mark your calendars. March the 26th, we're going to have our pop-up market here on campus, and we're so excited to help the community in that. And last but not least, we want to thank you so much uh, for partnering with us and giving. And uh, you can do so three ways. Number one, you can give in the app. It's quick, easy, and uh, we we just want to thank you for partnering uh, with us and giving. Your your gifts make a difference uh, in this community and around the world. Uh, You can partner. You can give, again, in the app. You can give online at community.cc, or you can also give in the offering containers in the back. Um, I want to pray as we continue to worship. Let's pray. God, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to come here to be a part of what you're doing to be a part of your kingdom and, and God to worship you. God, we pray that we can continue to see who you are and how you're moving and working in our lives. Uh, it's in your son's name we pray, amen.
1: Hi guys, welcome. If you do not know me, my name is Ben. I'm the elementary and high school director here at Community, and as I always say when up here, I am blessed, I enjoy serving your kids. If they're there on a Wednesday night at youth group or you bring your kids on the weekend to kids' church, I love it, and I think it's an amazing thing we offer. Um, And I'm excited to be sharing the word with you tonight in our series, Final Countdown. And if you're anything like me, You're forgetful. You forget important meetings. You forget important dates, birthdays, right anniversaries. Maybe you forget to extend your car's extended warranty, but don't worry, they're going to call you about it. But we're forgetful of important things. If If you're anything like me, I feel like every week I'm resetting another password to something I forgot because even important things we're forgetful of we often think this is only true of these maybe more trivial things but we're forgetful of very important things we're forgetful of the very truths that we have built our life on we're forgetful of the truth that jesus although we can say we know we know the proper doctrines verses We know our bible backwards and forwards we forget the truth that god desires our hearts attention above all else we forget the truth of the gospel as we try and build ourselves houses of mud and clay out of our own works when jesus has prepared a place for you built of his own righteousness We forget that although we can come to church week after week, we can be still lacking in spiritual zeal and hunger that God desires of us. See, we're so forgetful of even the most important truths in our lives, and Peter is writing this letter to us to remind us. So before we dive in to the scriptures tonight, will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this word. God, I thank you for this church. And God, I pray that as, as this scripture is put before your people, that God, it would um, show us areas that we need to repent, show us areas where we can view you, view you more properly. God, I pray that you would just enlighten these people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Peter is writing to remind the church, and this is what he says in 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 12. He says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I have I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to recall, at any time, recall these things. So second Peter, Peter knows he has a ticking clock on his life. Jesus has made it clear to him that he is going to die very soon. And if church tradition is to believe this isn't in our Bibles, but this is what the church historians have written down that Peter's death was a gruesome one. He was crucified in Rome. But not wanting to dishonor his Lord Jesus, he said, I don't want to be crucified like him. Crucify me upside down. Intense. So he has a ticking clock on his life. And what do we expect Peter to do with the rest of his life? What would you do with the rest of your life, right? You may think, well... Peter had a difficult life. He was a fisherman, which that's not easy. And then he became an apostle to the Jews, which also wasn't easy. He was always in prison, getting beat up. So maybe what he wanted to do to spend the rest of his life was just to relax on some Mediterranean island because he's already had a hard enough life. But that's not what Peter wants to do. But you may think, okay, Peter, Peter's crazy. When the high priest's servant came to take Jesus away in the garden of Gethsemane, he took his sword and he chopped his ear off. So, you may think, okay, Peter's crazy. He's just going to go out guns blazing. He's going to march into Rome. He's going to preach that gospel until someone gets annoyed enough that they're just going to kill him. That's not what Peter says he wants to do with the rest of his life. What Peter says he wants to do with the rest of his life may seem so mundane to us. We may say something like this to him Peter, what are you doing? Peter, you're an apostle, you're the chief of the apostles. Peter, you walked on water with Jesus. That's what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Come on, do something important. But Peter saw it as so important to spend the rest of his life doing it. And the amazing thing is, is that you don't need to be an apostle. You don't need to have this great authority that Peter had. All you need is your faith and your Bible to do what Peter says he wants to do. So what is it? Peter saw it was good to spend the rest of his life reminding us of the truth. He wanted to remind us who know the truth of the truth. He says it this way, I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. He wants to remind us Christians, he wants to remind the church of the truth that they already know. So, Peter doesn't want to remind the people that are new to faith. That's not what he says. Peter doesn't isn't writing this to a church whose faith is faltering. Peter isn't writing this to a group of people who do not yet know Jesus, but he's rather writing it to the people who are strong in their faith, who are walking the narrow path. And if it's true that those people who are strong in faith walking the narrow path need reminding of the truth, how much more true is it, is it of us who are faltering in our faith, who are new to our faith, who do not yet know Jesus? Cuz if it's great, if it's true of the greater, it's true of the lesser. So why do we need reminding of the truth if we already know it? Like I said in the beginning, we are forgetful we forget the truth all the time and that's not just because when god made our brains he's it wasn't perfect so we sometimes slips our mind it's it's true that we forget things because we're sinners and we live in a world that has been populated soaked with sin so sin, I don't want you to just think it's like, oh, it's that bad thing that makes me not go to heaven when I die. No, sin affects every crack and corner of our lives. From your relationship with God, your relationship with each other, it affects your marriage, your, your relationships with your kids, how you view work, and it does affect our memory. Theologians have a fancy word for it. They call it the noetic effects of sin. Or it's just simply, sin makes people forgetful of what is right. If Adam and Eve, who are living in the Garden of Eden, can hardly remember the one command that God gave them not to eat of the tree, how much more true is it of us who live in a fallen world? Man, we forget the truth. But you might be sitting there, and you say, cross your arms. You're like, maybe that's true for you, maybe for someone else that they forget the truth, but I know my Bible. I've been going to church longer than you've been alive. I don't think I forget the truth. I'm gonna tell a few stories, and I want to I want you to look at them, and maybe you'll see yourself in them, and if you're gonna be 100% honest with yourself, you'll probably see yourself in all of them like I do. So say you're coming home from a long day at work. It was difficult, your boss was on you all day. You get in the car, and you start that commute home, and it's just stop and go traffic forever, and you get up to what you think should be like the crash of the century, was it's just someone trying to change their tire on the side of the road and everyone thought it was just better to look at it and drive past it. So you're coming home, you're annoyed already, you're impatient, and you're just excited that, man, dinner's gonna be on the table, I can just put up my feet and relax the rest of the night. And as soon as you put the hand to the doorknob and you open it, it's, a me- it's, like, it's like a war is in there. Dishes up to the ceiling, laundry everywhere, kids screaming. Dinner's not even close to being done, and you're just, you're done. Your patience is worn then, and the first person that rubs you the wrong way, you're going to just fly off the handle at, and you're just going to say, well, you know the kind of day I had, and you just go on and on, and you just ream them for all they are. What you might say most readily is like, whoops, I guess I just had a long day. No, what is happening there is that you forgot the truth. You forgot the truth that God has been exceedingly patient with you. For if you understand just how patient God has been with you through all of your sin, through all of your folly, through all of your foolishness and weakness, and in those moments, he didn't fly off the handle with you, he didn't give up on you, but in those moments where it would have been easy for us to give up on you, God, in fact, lavished grace upon grace for you. So if you understood that When you're feeling that pull of impatience and you remember that truth and you think, well, if God has been patient with, through all of my foolishness and folly and sin, I can be patient with this. So we forget that truth in the moments we're impatient. Say there's someone in your life that has been continually wronging you for a very long time, whoever pops into your head when you think of that. And you say, this time, well, I'm done. I'm not going to forgive them. I've tried so many times. I'm done. What has happened there? It's not that you've just grown short and you're tired of the the same old stories that they're pulling out of their hat. The truth is if you forgot this truth in Ephesians 4.32. It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. See, so you have forgotten the magnitude of God's forgiveness towards you, so you think you can hold this one thing against that one person. But if you could understand the ocean of forgiveness God has offered you, the forgiveness you're going to offer to this person is like a drop in the bucket. Maybe say you come home, long day again, you're, you're trying your best at work, but your boss just doesn't seem to be happy, You're pouring your heart and soul into your children, but you don't feel like you're getting any progress. You're trying to love your husband, your wife, with a patient and sacrificial heart, but it just still feels like it's crumbling. And you plop onto the bed at the end of the long day, and you find yourself whispering this, oh man, I'm worthless. I'm a screw up, and I hate myself. What's happening there is that you forgot. You forgot this truth that you are deeply loved by God. That you are the very joy of God. You are the apple of God's eyes. You forgot that God has redeemed you and placed you exactly where he desires you with your specific circumstances and backgrounds for his purpose. You forgot that when you feel weak Those are the very moments that God says he's nearest to you. Say you've just fallen in temptation. That same sin has laid you low again. And you don't even want to be close to yourself because you're so disgusted. And so if you don't want to be close to yourself, you're going to hold God at an arm's distance for a few days until this feeling of shame has passed. You may not say it, But in your heart, you're thinking, man, God's got to be mad at me. Man, God's got to be disappointed that I've fallen into the same sin again. Grace must have dried up. What's happening there is that you have forgotten the truth of the gospel. That in those moments when a child of God has fallen into sin are the very moments when your father who is in heaven sees that child of God falling into the muck and mire of sin He runs to them, not away from them, like you would with your own child. When you see your own child fall down, you run to them as fast as you can, not say, that's not mine. So when God hears those cries of repentance come from you, he comes and picks you up and restores you by his grace. Say, maybe you've seen yourself slipping more and more away from the truth of the gospel. You find yourself buying into the lie that American Christianity tells you that you can just say you're a Christian, you can say, I went up on that altar call that one time, and I'm saved. You can say, man, I know I'm sinning, but I know it's God's job to forgive me one day. I'll fix it soon, but not today. See, what you're doing is you're forgetting in that moment the very two the very two things that the gospel calls you to do is not only just believe that Jesus is Lord, but also to repent from your sin. So you're forgetting that true faith is always accompanied by true repentance. See, we who are established in the truth often forget the truth in the heat of the moment, in the busyness of everyday life, of work, of practices, of dinners, family gatherings, we forget the truth in those moments. So we need reminding of the truth and there's no shame in that. For if it was good for Peter to spend the rest of his life doing that thing, how much more is it true of you to remind yourself of the truth every day? And look around in this church. He's writing this to a church. How much more true is it to remind each other of the truth when we see one another forgetting it. So what does this look like to remind each other of the truth? So I'm going to tell a story about husbands and wives, but this works between any two people that are Christians, friends, mom, sisters, doesn't matter. I'm going to tell about husbands and wives. So imagine your husband and your wife, you come home and you see that, man, they're having a hard day. You can tell they're discouraged, they're, they're beaten, and they, just, they tell you all about it, and you can tell they need encouragement. What's our first gut reaction when we see that? We say, oh, honey, you're amazing. You're the best. It's going to get better. Now, listen carefully. I'm not saying don't say those things. But what I'm saying is your first duty as someone who needs to remind each other of the truth is to remind them of the truth first. To say, You are loved by God. God has placed you there for a purpose. God is with you when you're walking through these difficult times. God has created you uniquely for a unique purpose. Remind them of those truths first. And then get on to the other things, how amazing they are. Because I'm sure that's very true. See, we need to remind each other of the truth that we're so forgetful of. Remind each other of the truth when you see temptation lays before a friend. Remind each other of the truth when discouragement is at your heels. For if it was good for Peter, the chief apostle, to remind his church of the truth, how much more true is it of us? And now to the people in the crowd that are just like me. If someone said, started reminding you of the truth, and you would say, I know. I know the truth. You don't need to remind me of that. But rather than saying, I know, I know, let us accept this reminder because that's the wise thing to do. Proverbs 9, 8 says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, he will love you. So let's be like the wise man who when someone reminds us of the, of the truth, we gladly accept it as an encouragement to walk in it. See, Peter isn't interested in just reminding the church of just any truth. He's interested in reminding them of one truth. And we see what this one truth is starting in verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed to you. Confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, the morning star rises in your heart. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter is interested in reminding the church of one truth, one truth that our entire Church, belief is built on the truth that he, when he said in 1 Peter 1.10, I want you to be more diligent to confirm your calling and election is based on the reason that we need reminding. And he says, it's that Jesus is coming. That Jesus has indeed come and he is coming back. This is what Peter is focused on in this letter. When he says, I don't want you to know that we're following cleverly devised devised myths. When I made you know the power of his coming, he's not talking about Jesus' first coming at Bethlehem. Very often, this is what we assume. Man, it's important that I know that Jesus came into the world and died for my sins and was risen again. This is very important. But that is not what Peter wants us to be reminded of every single day. When he says, I want you to know the power of his coming, this word isn't this generic one that you see all throughout the Bible, but it is a unique one only used to talk about Jesus' second coming. When he shall come in glory, it's the verb parousia. When Jesus shall come with angel trumpets, He'll rid the world of evil. His believers will come into their kingdom. So Jesus wants you to know that he is coming back. And that is why we should live upright and sober lives. And he says, this isn't a myth, because I saw Jesus when we went up on the mountain of transfiguration. If you don't know this, this is in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You can go read it. Towards the end of Jesus' life, He was about to go to Jerusalem to be crucified for the sins of the world. But before he did that, he went up on this mountain that we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And there he was speaking to Moses and Elijah in the cloud. And he was transfigured from his earthly glory, looking like you and me, to some heavenly glory. He says, and then God the Father spoke, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well. Please listen to him. He said, I saw the glory that Jesus had when he was transfigured on that mountain, and he's going to come again in that same glory at the end of the age. And what does he want us to do about Jesus returning? 2 Peter 1.19 says, To which you would do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. He wants you to pay attention to the prophetic word. What he is saying is our Bibles. He wants you to pay attention that the Bible has spoken that Jesus would come. The Bible speaks about when Jesus came. And now the Bible is telling us that Jesus shall come back. He wants us to pay attention to this prophetic word like a lamp shining in a dark place. Peter is painting this picture night has fallen on the world, meaning the world is devoid of truth. That in that darkness there is snare after snare laid in that darkness hoping to drag one of God's children into that darkness. In Peter's day those snares that were calling them to fall away from following the living God would sound like this. Hey, man, you should forsake following Jesus and follow follow Caesar. Because Caesar doesn't tell you to take up your own cross and die to yourself. In Peter's day, it would sound like, hey, a little unrighteousness is okay. A little sexual immorality is okay. A little lies are okay. Just forget Christ for this moment and indulge in yourself. But how similar does those snares that were laid in Peter's day sound to ours? No longer are people saying, hey, follow Caesar, but they're saying, hey, go find your true self. Because if you're following your true self, you don't have to do any of that stuff that Jesus says. You don't got to repent of your sin. You don't have to take up your cross. You don't have to die to yourself. We hear the same snares dragging us away. Forsake Christ, follow your own path. A little unrighteousness, a little drunkenness, a little gossip, so on and so forth. like, follow yourself. And those snares are so easy to fall in, but if we keep our eyes on that lamp, on the prophetic word, then we'll be able to survive this darkness, to get through it without falling away. But this is hard work. For there is only one lamp in many snares. But that's why I think it's good to remind you, O oh tr- oh church, of the truth. And to the parents in your in this room, it is your job. God has given you this role that you are to hold up the lamp to your children, to hold up the light of the truth of the scriptures, the truth of the gospel, the truth that Jesus reigns to them. That is why you need to be taking every opportunity to show them the truth. That's why it's good for you to pray with them that every opportunity you have before dinner, as you're driving to drop them off at school, when you're, if they're still young enough, well, you're putting them to bed. It's why it's good that you read the Bible with them, but you might say, okay, I'm new to this. I, I still don't understand lots of times what I'm reading in my Bible. That's okay. That's good even, because in those moments you can say, well, we don't know. Let's figure it out together. Let's go next week and ask the pastor about it, or let's, let's research it together, and we can find out the answer. Showing them that it's okay to be confused. You must Show them the light of truth. And there's this great lie in our day, one of the snares that have let many children fall into the darkness is, man, I don't want to force religion on my children. I don't want to force Christianity down their throats if they're uncomfortable with it. I don't want to make them come to church if if they don't want to. I don't want them to pray if it makes them feel weird. I don't want to share the gospel with them because, man, that tells them that there are sinners before God. But the reality is, is this light is the only one that will save them. And if you believe the gospel to be true, why would you do anything else but share it with them? And you may be sitting there being like, well, I don't want to do what my parents did. My, my parents were a tyrant with a Bible in the other hand. They only knew the, the verses that would make me feel bad about myself. What I would say is then don't do what your parents did. Don't force Christianity down their throat, but rather use grace, use gentleness, and most importantly, use wisdom to continually show them the light of truth. Because if you're not showing them the light of truth, then they are in that darkness that Peter describes. And then they don't stand a chance. So parents in this room, I think it's good to remind you that it is good for you to show them the truth at every opportunity you have. And this light of truth that we hold on to This prophetic word, our Bibles, isn't just like any other word that we have, but it was produced by God himself. The scriptures are true and worthy of our attention. In our day, there's many people who are saying the Bible is just a manufactured book by men. It's almost like they want you to to believe what the Da Vinci Code says about the Bible is true. And if you ever have questions about that kind of stuff, How did I get my Bible? How do we go from Moses to what I have in my hands? I am more than happy to answer that question. We can sit down for coffee, we can talk after. I love those kind of questions, but I can just attest to you in my studies, every turn the Bible is shown to be true. And if the Bible is true, it's worthy of our attention. That's why at this church we have a commitment every day with Jesus. So I want us to read our Bibles deeply. I want to read you a quote by a man named Charles Spurgeon, a preacher from England in the 1800s. He was known as the king of preachers. He's writing about a man named John Bunyan, funny last name, a man who was one of the most popular Christian authors the world has ever seen. He says, why this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere and his blood is Biblion. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. That man read the Bible, consumed it, feasted on it, meditated on it until it was incorporated into his DNA, until he couldn't hardly speak a word without telling the truth of scripture, and we ought to do the same. Not passively reading the Bible, but actively doing it. And this is the very reason if we're gonna be reading our Bibles actively, to be able to remind each other of the truth. If you're not in God's word, you're not able to remind each other of the truth. One of my biggest like, pet peeves at church, I'm gonna say it, is when someone is sharing something, and they're saying, I'm going through a hard time, and they they say whatever it is, and someone just responds with like a Christian platitude or a cliche, "Well, well, you're still hashtag blessed. I guess it's God does this for a reason. Don't do that. They don't need to hear the wisdom out of your mouth. They need to hear the words of Scripture. So if I go to you and I'm saying, yeah, I'm having a hard time and I give you the list, I don't want you to give me some cliche. I want you to say, Ben, I'm sorry that you're going through a hard time. I'm here for you. But when I hear this, I think of this Bible verse I was just reading a few weeks ago, I highlighted it, and you turn in, in your Bible or in your phone and you find it, and you say, well, this I don't know what this, is, this has for you, but I just want to read it for you. You're having a hard time. How about Romans 8, 28? And 28? And we know that for those who love Him, God works all things together for his good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. You say to me, I know you're going through hard times, but I see God has called you according to his purpose. And I see God's working in your life right now to conform you to the image of his son, so don't be discouraged. You say that to me, I'm going to walk away knowing that the word of God has just encouraged me through my day. Not... You. Sorry. That's what I want to hear. And we got to know the Word of God because that's what a disciple is called to do. A disciple of Jesus is someone who knows the Word of God, knows the commands of Jesus, and does them. So if you call yourself a Christian, a disciple of Him, you need with all your strength, might, and intellect to study God's commands to study his scriptures, so that you can know the commands that you are called to live out. And it's both sides. You can't just know the commands of Jesus, for there are many of men who can recite Bible verse after Bible verse, but do not live out the commands. They are not disciples. But we're called to do both, to know the commands of Jesus and to do them. So as I close... I think it's good to remind you, church, to remind you of the truth no matter where we are, to remind you of the grace that there is for you in the gospel right now, to remind you of the redemption that was purchased for you by the precious blood of Jesus on Calvary. I think it's good to remind you that it's good to remind each other consistently and constantly. I think it's good to remind you that you guys should live a life that is according to your election. I think it's good to remind you that Jesus is returning soon and we should live upright and sober lives. And I call you, church, to do that as a family, as friends, as people who together are seeking after our God. To remind each other of that truth. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for this word that it's good for us to be reminded of the truth, for our hearts are wayward and forgetful. God, if there's anyone in this room that has forgotten the truth, God, in these moments, just remind them that you are near to them, that you will not cast them out. God, I pray that we would just be strengthened.